0: Hello there and welcome to episode 50 of the Hawthorns Debate Club. My name is Jamie Clare and I'm joined some weeks at the moment, if we're being honest, by two gentlemen to have a few conversations and discussions about West Bromwich Albion. So let me start by saying a warm hello to my good friend Alex Collins. Hello. And hello to my little brother Joe Clay. Hello. And a special hello this week to pre-season car park Carlin Grant. Hello. So again, it's been a while since our last gathering at the debate club. If you want a like a cinematic mental image to process the time elapsing, imagine sands falling through an hourglass, clocks spinning away their hands, dates, paper being shed from a calendar. But in that time, I think we can officially say that the preseason is well and truly underway. That's right, there's been plenty of juicy transfers, rumours flying around, warm ever training, pre-season friendlies, a kit unveiling, some dodgy accountancy, and the WBA social media team have been filling our boots with photos of the squad sweating in Portugal. Now, I don't want to be premature or to be sucked back into some unsubstantiated hype, but fire up the promotion parade invincible season here we come i'm allowing myself the indulgence of getting carried away tis the season for dreaming but before we get to all the fun and the stories let me say a huge thank you for downloading and listening to the podcast this week episode 50 bit of a special achievement thank you for joining us for those 50 episodes however if you're new here perhaps this might be your first week welcome if you're returning welcome as well. All we ask as you listen to the podcast is that you share it, that you share our love with other people, that you get the podcast to as many souls, ears and spirits as you can, share it through your social media, share it through word of mouth, especially ahead of the new season. What a lovely gesture it would be to us three on our episode 50 for you to gift this episode to someone else to celebrate the coming season. So we've got lows to get to, On this episode, we've got a Google document in front of us that is just absolutely loaded and stacked with stories and news bits, and we're going to get to it all today. So, guys, are you fired up? Are you fueled up, ready to get through all of this juicy content?
1: Absolutely.
0: Alex was simulating an engine there, if you were unaware of what he was doing. He's not having a fit. Right, so let's kick off with a story that we speculated maybe we dreamed would potentially be on the horizon, but we would kind of put some caveats in our last episodes as we discussed this transfer rumour that was bubbling, that it felt very unlikely. But then the news broke a couple of weeks ago that Jed Wallace had signed on the free transfer from Millwall. This felt like quite a coup. I know there's some people that wanted a few more foreign names being brought into the squad, some exotic flair from overseas. But Jed Wallace, by all accounts ticks a lot of the boxes for those areas that we were so deficient and lacking in last season. Another creative midfielder to add to John Swift, who's been brought in another person who topped the charts in all of those metrics that we use to determine like attacking output in midfielders, assists, chances created, goals scored, progressive through balls, passes into the box, passes in the final third, all of these kind of statistics. Jed Wallace, is a champion of all of those things. He joins us from Millwall again on a free transfer, and it feels like of all of the clubs that were interested in some in the Premiership or on the fringes of a uh, Premiership season like Forest, and to beat them all to sign a player, which really seems to, in my opinion, now leave us loaded in attacking midfield options now, which seem to be such an obvious gap in our system last season, and now we seem to have this abundance there. What did you guys make of the Jed Wallace signing?
1: It's brilliant, to be honest. I think we predicted it. I think that's what the Hawthorne's debate club does, predict transfers correctly. But... If any of you have listened to him, I know Joe Massey mentioned this about his feature on uh, Not The Top 20 live broadcast. He's a funny guy, you know, like he sounds like he's a very approachable guy, very professional, but yet has a laugh. And I think that's what we need. Jake Livermore is serious. You know, he's a professional. He's captain, he's skip. But Jed Wallace is that bridge between the younger players, the new coming players and the skipper. So I just I think it's a great sign in to be honest. And I think Wolves lost out by selling him to uh, Millwall because I think possibly he could be thereabouts for the Wolves team now. I think he's got a lot of potential. I know he's on the latter ends of his career, but I think he could have been in their squad and I think they lost out there. And I think he's got a lot to bring to this team. As Jeremy said, That we've got a lot of attacking
2: force now with Swift and Jed coming in, but I'd like more. I'd like you to follow me to my uh, research and Wikipedia corner. So, 5 foot 10, or 1.79 metres for those of you who love maths. He was born in Reading. His name's Jed Fernley Wallace. He was born on the 26th of March. Sorry,
0: what? Fernley? Like Burnley, but with an F?
2: Yes, and spelt with an E. So, he's 28 years old. We've signed him on a four-year contract, so we're going to see, hopefully, the best years of his career. And as Joe alluded to, you know, I think we've got here not only a very quality player, but we've also got somebody who's got a good mentality as well. So he's not only got the skills to cut it, proven skills to cut it at this level, but he's also got very good credentials upstairs as well. He scored 38 goals in 211 appearances for Millwall which is, you know, pretty decent return. I mean, I think that's nearly 25%, so a goal every four-ish games. But I, I just think he's a brilliant signing.
0: Yeah, I think I agree with both of you there. I think he's got the makings of a gel glue player, a player that's going to bring members of the squad together. I think also, obviously, like you said just the eyeball test isn't it so often we have all of these statistics and metrics but I remember over the past couple of seasons or at least those seasons where we've been in the championship we played Millwall even when we've had great squads I can remember Jed Wallace standing out as a performer whenever I watch Millwall he's Clearly the best player Most dangerous player at least On the pitch Watched a couple of compilations Since he's joined us And he's Obviously he's not just A dead ball specialist Although that's A kind of a prominent feature Of his game But some of the skills And the way he moves The ball between his feet To evade pressure And there's some really Impressive dribbles And I think he's There's a little bit more about him Than just can take a decent corner And can smash one in From 25 yards I think there's a Complementary aspect To the way he'll fit in with the kind of attackers we've got now. He's different in many ways to John Swift and Dean Garner and DK. And I like the way we've got this portfolio of attacking options. Like I just believe now we've got so many different tools and weapons to break down different defenses. And it feels like a lot of teams are going to come and try and make it difficult for us to play our game but I just feel like this season, just looking at the variety of players, I just I can't really see us not creating chances and opportunities for these kind of prolific strikers in Carlin Grant and Daryl DK to just hoover up these chances. Famous last words who knows? Let's move on then. I think we're kind of almost tackling these semi-chronologically. Almost chronologically. After the signing of Jed Wallace, the team jumped on an aeroplane, I presume, and flew over to Portugal for some warm weather training camp. Looking, obviously, at conditioning and fitness. Loads and loads and loads of Pictures and videos have been put up by the social media team so that fans can really get eyes on the players. Anything of note to you guys? Anyone looking particularly fit and sharp during preseason, in your opinion?
1: What I liked is they did that moped up situation. Oh, yeah, like the
0: NFL thing, yeah. Yeah,
1: they did it with, I don't know who they did with it with first. I can't remember.
0: I know they did Daryl DK, definitely. Yeah,
1: Daryl DK. Um, Furlong the, as well, I think. Oh, yeah, it was Furlong first, wasn't it? Yeah. So yeah, they did the Furlong one. Furlong is, from what I saw, is very serious and very professional. It looked like they were working hard, to be fair, boxing and all that. Daryl DK is one. Did anybody watch it?
0: Yeah, I did. There's one part where Taylor Gardner-Hickman was impersonating him. Felt a little bit, to me, like bullying, the way he was talking about it. And I was like, Taylor Gardner-Hickman's picking quite a fight there.
1: Well, he calls him Tails. TJ hasn't caught on yet, but... I liked Daryl DK's version of the Brummie accent. I thought it was good, to be fair. He smashed
0: it. He oh, know, sounded yeah. exactly like Taylor Garden Hickman or Tails.
1: To be fair, they seem to be working hard. I know Steve Bruce always goes there for his preseason, but a lot of the clubs do. But yeah, let's see what comes out of it. It seems like a quite a small squad. That's going to be added to those players that we probably will sign. Mainly loans, I'd say are on their pre-season with their current or parent
2: club. So, yeah, hopefully we add to that. It seems a small squad, but yeah, it looks good. Sounds to me like it was a bit of a booth camp. So not only were they testing themselves physically, like doing the beep test, you know, doing a lot of drills, like running drills. I think they were pushing themselves to their limits. So testing their mental preparedness as well, you know, to make sure so they know their limits, what they can and can't do. I also think it's it's worth noting that they didn't misbehave. I didn't read about any taxis being stolen or anything like that, which is always a only heart plus. <laughs> yeah, only hearts. I think Daryl D. K. is looking in his built, isn't he? He's a big bloke he is, but I can't wait to see him next season. Really excited to see him. But I also thought, you know, the new guys are settling in quite well. They had the opportunity to meet the other players and to get to know him a bit better. And plus, it's always good when there's no injuries as well.
0: I think that's the thing that stood out to me. Many of the comments were around how tough the training had been, how there was a real kind of gruelling aspect to it. And even Jed Wallace and John Swift we're talking about how intense the coaches were making it, really trying to get some fitness into the players as quick as possible. I imagine, and I think obviously when they go away in these camps, it's got a it's got a camaraderie, team spirit vibe. And there was the the videos released of Darnell Furlong and his like his efforts in water polo. I mean, we knew he was Darnell Furlong throw, but he absolutely smashed in water polo. Did you guys catch that? His his emphatic dive and quarterback style throw into the top bins.
2: We're lucky that he didn't take somebody's head off. It was his dad-esque, wasn't it?
1: Paul Furlong. You know, was he good at water be... power, like? <laughs> No, it was a bullet header. It would have been a bullet header from Paul Furlong, wouldn't it? Is it Paul Furlong? It is definitely it was, Paul yeah. Furlong. Yeah. It is. Yeah
2: can i just say as well you know bruce he's got a bit of a reputation for not having very fit squads so i get the Mm -hmm. impression that he's addressing this he's trying to quieten the critics i saw in the news as well he's recently appointed strudwick director of medical to boost the medical and sports science this strudwick chap he's been at arsenal and man united so he's got a good pedigree but it strikes me as being really like clever from bruce you know he's He sort of recognised where he might be failing a bit and he's looking to address it, which I think is really brave and really good attributes to have, that is recognising where you're weak and trying to strengthen it. That's all come from this Newcastle.
1: He's been hurt. They were calling him out. Didn't like him, even though he's a Newcastle fan. They went straight to the juggler, didn't they? Fair play to Bruce. Let's let him show what he's made out of at the Albion and get us promoted. I think when you're
0: a pragmatic style of manager where you come in and you're not looking to impose a system or a style of play or a philosophy, but you very much look at the pieces you have and try and work out what they best do and what's the best way to use what you've got in your hand which seems to be a real diminishing skill in managers at the moment most of the top managers come in and they're looking to impose what they want on a squad even your two shells your clops your guardiolas it's very much Ishmael's. About, yeah your ishmael millers yeah oh, ishmael Miller. <laughs> Ishmael Miller and his philosophies, Valerian Ishmael, and all these managers coming in wanting to do it their way or the highway. Whereas you have got like the old guard, like you Sam Allardyces, who come in and they're very pragmatic, and I think they they can be really successful. But I think when it when that doesn't work, the criticism is very fast. And I think Steve Bruce will be in a similar position at Albion if the results don't come. I think he'll find he's on a shorter leash than Valerian Ishmael was last season. I think that regards to that appointment that you mentioned, Alex Strudwick, the medical and sports science guy, apparently Joe Massey, I think, described it as one of three key board-level appointments that are going to be made over the summer, one of three key figures about the infrastructure at the club going forward. So it's good to see that there's business being done off the pitch to kind of restore some credibility to what goes on off the field although that's all been a bit shaky recently as well let's move on then to another story that kind of emerged while the guys were at the gang were out in Portugal that was at the 1st of July we unveiled our new kit (laughs) under the banner of designed by fans for fans and it tried to capture that famous 70s team with Tony Brown and the likes in and a copying the badge, um, just going for the, the WBA in that joined-up font. And can see how artistic I am. Um, and back to kind of a more classical striped kit rather than their kind of central singular kit. I have to say, I think this kit looks great, especially in those photos from the Latin Orient game. It photos beautifully thought daryl dk as you said alex absolutely filled it out but i think it's a, it's a lovely looking kit and i am well impressed what do you guys think
1: i think everybody likes a bit of a retro feel to a kit don't they for example how many retro kits are bought for england the world cup going up there'll be loads of retro kits built uh built bought but yeah i think it's spot on isn't it it's what we wanted it's what the fans need people get really excited about a kit don't they away home even the third kit and youngsters especially and that's what we need to do we need to give them something to get excited about i'm kind of excited about it i don't know if i'll buy it because it's so expensive but it's beautiful i'll watch it on daryl dica and dream of being that tonk people say tonk anymore
0: I don't know what that means, no. <laughs>
2: they say. should. They should if they don't. And plus, Joe, I think trying to pull the wool over our eyes, you're seven foot, mate, and uh, you're built like a brick.
0: I thought you were going to say, I'm going to dream of being on Daryl DK. <laughs>
2: <laughs> but I think Joe at seven foot, Daryl DK must be at least eight foot. I think it would be a good battle, like Colossals. I don't think uh, they could have done any better with the kit. I, I think it's brilliant, and I can't wait for Payday to get one. For all of us. I'm not made of money, and I don't have a tree at the end of the garden that produces money.
0: So we're sharing one.
2: Yeah, I'm going to get one with six arms.
0: (laughs) Like Goro from Mortal Kombat. Spider. Right, let's have a rating from both of you for the kit then. I'll go last. Joe, a rating?
1: I'd go 9 out of 10, only because I've seen a lot of comments around the women's kit. The three stripes
2: being prominent in the middle, I'd go 9 out of 10. Al, 11 out of 10, just to make up for Joe's 9.
0: I'm going to give it a 9.5 out of 10. I do think it's absolutely been smashed, but very much in the same way that Pochettino trains his players, that you can't ever give a 10 out of 10 because there's always got to be room to improve. I want to inspire the creative director at Puma to go even greater next season.
1: Like you said, it was built by fans, designed by fans. It was designed by a fan.
0: Okay, that fan, there's more work to be done, whoever you are.
2: I think it was a board of fans.
0: I'm not going to keep qualifying my statement. Work harder, everyone. <laughs> right, well, amongst all these fun and games of new kits and Daryl DK filling them out and Jed Wallace and all of the excitement that we've experienced, there then was, after all of the good stories, that this weird story that was released to kind of puncture all of that enthusiasm and joy that we were experiencing as Albion fans because we can't have nice things and that's a well-known fact about being an Albion fan. Albion finally published their accounts this has been a bit of a bone of contention with Kieran Maguire, the guy who does the Price of Football podcast, all of the football finance-related stuff. He's been scrutinising Albion's accounts and Rangoli and why Albion published it if there wasn't anything to hide? Um, and it turns out there was some unusual activity on West Brom's accounts when they were published. It turns out that at some point last year, Guacan Lai took out a loan with one of his other businesses against the Albion for the grand sum of about five million pounds was it or something
2: like that Fifty 000 pound interest apparently
0: yeah one percent interest so a pretty generous loan to his company which was due for repayment last season in september but they missed that and now the payment has been rescheduled for the end of this year but i think one of the reasons this story has proved to be so unpopular and the liquidator podcast have done a, a whole special on it and really trying to dig deep into all of what's been going on regarding it, is that this £5 million that was given to lie could have proved invaluable in January and attracting in a couple of extra signings you would have thought or one key signing that may have been enough to just push us over the line. Bear in mind, in January, you're talking about a team that was still in the playoff position and hadn't kind of come a cropper the way we did. But £5 million, is you talk about Guacan Lai being a billionaire and him having to borrow money off the club. It it really has rubbed up fans the wrong way. And I think there's many stories that come out about the board and I often feel like they've just been on the wrong side of a a decision and they've been ultimately a little bit unlucky. But there's no real way that you can even defend this. It seems to just be exploiting his position at the club. What do you guys make of all of this?
1: I think it's, it's, it's funny you say that, like... We could have used it in uh, in last January's transfer window. But he said he'll pay it back by, what is it, December, the 30th or whatever, December end of December. And in I'm sure in the WBA article around the accounts that Ron Gourley or Lai said that that could be used to bolster the transfer window in January. It doesn't make sense. Don't take it out like you don't take it out against the football club because the football club is fans, people who do it day to day, work their own job, and go and pay to have entertainment. In the end of the day, I know we haven't had much entertainment recently, but it's an entertainment industry, and it's an odd, odd thing. And the company were they they're based in the UK, weren't they? They're based somewhere southeast or southwest or something like that. So it's just it's an odd thing, and I'm just waiting for the price of football, like you mentioned, Kieran Maguire, to actually tell us in detail what this was, because I don't think we're, as a podcast, I'm not going to put it out there, we're not finance specialists, are we?
0: No, our expertise lies elsewhere, that's for sure.
2: Maths. Yeah, I mean, the only positive I can see is that some jobs were safeguarded uh, in this company that borrowed the money, but it does seem very fishy with Got Lai being a billionaire and you'd expect somebody to invest in the club rather than take money out and use it in that kind of way I know it's been unprecedented times with COVID-19 but yeah it's just it's very mischievous isn't it it's very kind of bad vibes I hope he pays it back in December because if he doesn't there's going to be rioting I suspect you know what you said about saving jobs This is the liquidator around there
1: and I think Chris Lepalski said it People were laid off in West Brom in uh, COVID, and that £5 million could have saved their jobs. So it's, it's, something's gone awry here, and it needs explaining, I think. And I suppose he doesn't have to explain it. It's been done now. As long as he pays it back, everyone's happy. But it just needs explaining. I think there needs to be some transparency for the fans, as they've mentioned it on their
2: club website. It doesn't help with his reputation at all. It's definitely like a negative, isn't it, with the fans? I mean, he's trying hard to improve it with the price of season tickets and match day tickets and you know the reintroduction of the fan zone. It does seem like he's making some effort, but stuff like this, it really does take you two steps back.
0: It's definitely provoked a reaction, whichever way you look at it. In, it's left a bad taste in a lot of people's mouths, and especially when you talk about people who've lost their jobs at the Albion, the lack of funds in different transfer windows and whatnot and to think that a billionaire is begging from the club it, it it's just not a strong look for the board and I think like you say Joe we've got us the fans but also obviously there are other shareholders at the club that are literally financially contributing to the club as well and all of these different people who just seem to be offered little to no explanation about what Gokkenlai's intentions are with the club or what the plan is going forward. And I think Rangole, in the main, is the person making these kind of gestures towards the club. And like you say, I think the big takeaway point of this is... The club needs to start communicating with greater transparency to fans, because I do think we deserve it, ultimately. We're the ones that turn up every week. We're the ones that are paying out of our pockets to go and see what's been awful, basically, since Guacan Lai has taken over, apart from the singular Slav Bilic season, when we weren't allowed to go and see them anyway. So, yeah, a bit of a strange story, really. And I think that's one of these stories that we'll have to come back to and greater minds than ours will probably have to unpack that story and before we can pass too much comment on it. But... Um, yeah, definitely going to be interested to see what comes about from that. Next story to talk about, the fixtures have been released. Our opener against Middlesbrough away, that's been picked by Sky Sports. That will be on television, which is great, which is followed then by Watford at home. And then we've got Sheffield United in the Carabao Cup. A lot of people were saying, this is a, we've got a pretty sticky, tricky kind of opener of a few games here but I'm of the opinion that I know it's nice to have points on the board but Middlesbrough away there are certainly worse ties we could have come up against and I think my expectation is is that we should be title challengers this season I think and you've got to be expecting to go to places like Middlesbrough away with the greatest respect to Middlesbrough and take 3 points what do you guys think of the, the fixtures? Anything stand out to you? What the Boxing Day, New Year's, final game, anything interesting there?
1: I just want to talk about the opening games. I think the Watford game will probably be, well, it is going to be moved because of the swimming in Smevik on the Commonwealth. It's been
2: moved to Monday the 8th at 8 o'clock.
1: I just think it's probably the best time because we've got two of our best signings of the summer, definitely going to be the two of our best signings of the summer in early pre-season, going to be fit, going to know the squad, going to know Bruce's tactics and his vision for the squad. So really, we're in prime place to play these teams who are going to be there or about, because they might not have their players in, you know, after, I think it runs into three or four weeks after the season started. So I don't think Middlesbrough, especially Watford, will have all their players that they want to play the season with, or who they will have at the end of the season in their squad. So I think it's the best time to play them, and we've got two of our best players in the squad already. So I think it's great.
2: One thing that struck me, touching on what Jamie said, is that there are no easy fixtures in the championship. It really is going to be quite tough next year. And like I say, I I wouldn't classify Middlesbrough as, you know, perhaps battling for playoffs. Just outside, they've got a good manager, haven't they? But yeah, you know, there's no easy fixtures, and I think it'll be any any fixture will be quite tough. First games of the seasons always are, aren't they? Because there's so many different unknowns. You know, who's got the fitter squad? which players are going to gel quicker. None of the players have had a chance to develop form, get the fans behind them and things like that. Easy
0: three points to kick us off away. Easy three points at home against Watford and then through to the next round of the Carabao Cup. Invincibles.
2: Oh, Jamie, I should just clarify. The first round of the Carabao Cup is not necessarily after the Watford game.
0: That's just totally fine by me. All I'm saying Al is we won't lose any of those games and we will win them all.
2: I'm not going to defy you. No dissent here.
0: Who are we playing on Boxing Day?
1: It doesn't matter. Uh, Dean Garner's going to get a (laughs) hat-trick.
0: Cool. But just out of interest...
2: Bristol City.
1: And then on New Year's Day, we've got Reading. Home away. Bristol City is uh, away and uh, home at Reading. And last game of the season? Last game of the season is Swansea away.
0: And that's when we get promoted with 164 points. What's the maths? What's 46 times 3?
1: Yeah, 46.
0: No, it's not 46. It's 46, yeah. 46 times 3 is 120, 138.
1: Yeah, but we're going to get promoted before that. The 7th of April in my hometown, Rotherham away at Rotherham and we're going to celebrate the promotion there cool
0: are you guys ready for a quick fire news round news round the BBC CBBC kind of news programme child friendly news coming your way the club have announced that Callum Morton highly touted Callum Morton the future of West Bromwich Albion's forward line has been released in the free to Fleetwood Town um, which goes to show all of the speculation about him coming back in January last season was Ultimately, completely premature. Um, Jamie, and,
2: it's uh, Fleetwood Mac.
0: Oh, Fleetwood Mac. You're absolutely right, Alex. He's going to be playing on their their comeback tour as a prolific former West Bromwich Albion striker. Johnson is a done deal now. He's gone. He signed for Crystal Palace on a free transfer. Um, best of luck to Callum Morton and Johnston. They've been kind of good club servants, especially Callum Morton, I guess, being there from a youngster. Um, And Sam Johnson's been there a few years now as well. Contract extensions have been given to Ted Kahn, Josh Shaw and Reese Hall. So congratulations to all of them. They'll be with us till 2024. The Powerchair football team for the Albion have again won the title. That's four in a row now. Um, And those guys are just absolutely colossal. Just seem to win absolutely everything, cleaning up all the time. For all of you youngsters, TikTok Albin have a TikTok account, so you can go and follow Albion on TikTok. And then a kind of final little news count, they've released the ticket prices for next season. Under-17s will be able to attend games for just £5, which is a good deal, a very good deal. Hopefully it's a good deal. It could be a terrible deal if it's crap. But if you're aged between 17 and 19, which I don't think is our demographic, particularly for this podcast, but you'll have to pay £10. For those of you then... Gosh, it seems to just that they've incrementally increased the price according to your age until you reach seniority in life and then you start to pay less again. But it'll be 20 to £25 pounds for adults, effectively, uh, and senior citizens will have to pay £20. Pounds. And does any of that make sense? Like I say, finance isn't our strong point, but effectively, if you want to buy a ticket for the Albion, you can go and see us next season for at the very max £25, pounds, which isn't too bad, hopefully. And then finally, to wrap up the news, they've released the pre-season schedule for you to all get excited about. Stevenage, which is this Saturday, Northampton, which is next Wednesday, Crew, Oxford and Hertha Berlin to get excited about. Anyone actually want to make a prediction about any one of those games, Alex?
2: 3-0, Diangana. Perfect.
0: What a perfect way to wrap up the pre-season. 15 goals for Diangana.
1: You haven't asked what her for Berlin's nickname is. Die Alte Dame. So there you go.
0: Die Alte Dame. Do we have a translation for that?
1: The old lady.
0: Oh, okay. Well, I don't know why. I was expecting something so much more ferocious than that because it was German.
1: And it says the capacity of their stadium. I'm guessing it's Berlin's, like the national stadium, is 74,000. I know it's at the Hawthorns, but...
0: Now, I haven't got the Hawthorns Wikipedia open, but is that more than West Brung Albion's capacity? No. No. No, I didn't doesn't, think so. Doesn't
1: feel like it, anyway.
0: It... Not when you're in that cauldron. Right. Okay. die Alt Dam. Bring it on. Any other interesting nicknames there? We did all this, didn't we? We've done all this. Gosh, this is Deja Vu. This is The Matrix, The Matrix on the Hawthorne's Debate Club. To be fair, I, I did think,
2: what's uh, Fleetwood Mac's nickname?
0: The, no, the
2: Imps is Lincoln, isn't it? Yeah. The Troglodytes. How did you know? The Unchained. The what? That's the song, isn't it? Right, The Chain or something. I think he oh, was taking oh, you gosh. seriously. Um, do, 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 I literally do, do, thought for a second...
0: That is the best name, nickname for a football (laughs) team I've ever heard. It sounds like some sort of like Roman gladiator.
1: But it is actually the Cod Army.
0: Cod Army.
1: (laughs) That was a German version of the, the Fleetwood town.
0: Dankeschön. Right. Well, that will do. We'll leave it there for another week or two or three, depending on our schedules. I think we're going to probably have to get back to being a little bit more regular than we have been. But who knows? It is a little bit of a mystery when we'll record next. But hopefully you guys understand where we're all at. Life is busy and whatnot. But until then, all I have to say is a big thank you to Alex. Cheers. Big thank you to Joe. Thank you. A final hello to Carlin Grant. Hello. And thank you for listening to the Hawthorne's Debate Club. We will see you next week. Sweet dreams. dreams.